So we bought the property in 2010 and it was okay. But as 200 year old homes are that are patched together, when one tiny thing goes wrong, a hundred other things go wrong and it is never small. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. And I bet you're exposed to investment risk right now. To reduce it, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and download the risk reduction checklist I've made specifically for you, my podcast listeners, based on the lessons I've learned from all of my guests. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Jennifer Mertman. Jennifer, are you ready to rock? I think so, Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm excited to have you on the show. I'm going to introduce you to the audience. So, ladies and gentlemen, Jennifer Mertman is a licensed real estate agent and investor in Ohio and Northern Kentucky. She started her real estate career wholesaling pre-foreclosures and investing in rentals. She is the co-host of the Real Estate Fight Club podcast that focuses on battling through residential real estate topics. She's a no-bullshit, passionate professional who is committed to her client's success and is currently looking for real estate agents to join her company. Jennifer, take a minute and fill in further tidbits about your life. Well, Andrew, I think most people find it interesting that I was able to travel the world for a year while running my residential real estate business pre-COVID. So that was exciting. I love traveling so much. Some of my favorite places are Mexico City. And my least favorite is Kyoto, Japan, which people heckle me for. Why? Because it's the worst. And then my second worst place is Santiago, Chile, because I got tear gassed by the police twice. It was awful. Mm. Okay, that doesn't sound very fun. No, it was awful. Avoid it. Isn't it isn't it a kind of amazing that, you know, what someone one person thinks is their best place. Another person thinks is their worst place. I know. It's true. It's true. But there's a lot of great places in the world. Just not Japan or Chile. And just out of curiosity, you know, I mean, that's ultimately it's the dream of most people is to be able to have a business that's running, generating income while you're traipsing about the world. How much work was involved when you were away? Were you like four hours a day emailing and doing all that? Or what were you doing? Like four to five hours a day I worked. So I was coming off of working probably like easily 12 hour days and just burn out. And I had to, I was so burnt out. I had to leave the country for a year and mm. people have said, you can't do it. There's no way, but I did it. We sold over 50 houses that year while I was gone, That's which is nuts. residential real estate. That's nuts. And you had like a team in place or you were working with agents or you were like, there's only two of us on our team. Yep. But yeah, I mean, he, and even before I left, he was like the main one that would go and do the realtor stuff, like go and do the listings and buyers and things like that. And I, I'm the cold caller of our group. So it it made it easy. I just had to work Ohio hours. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But it was uh, awesome. 
Yeah. And just one last thing before we get into it. I love the design of the Realtor Fight Club podcast. And, you know, thanks. I think it's really cool. And you've got, you've been doing a lot of episodes. I was seeing like your friend list their home as an FSBO and some other recent episodes. Maybe just tell us, because I think, you know, there's plenty of people out there that would like to learn more about real estate and tell us, you know, what they're going to get when they come to your podcast. So the podcast is, well, we had to change our name. We were Realtor Fight Club, but then the National Association of Realtors sent me a nice cease and desist to not use the word realtor, (laughs) which was my goal. Because then that's how you know you're known. I figure if you don't get in trouble at least once a day or so, then you're not pushing the envelope, you know? So we changed it to Real Estate Fight Club, Mm. and it's for residential realtors, and we talk about like topics, like should your buyers send a letter with their offer? And then we also do ethics and professional violations at the board. And we talk about those cases too. So it's really fun. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. All right. Well, and we do fight. You do fight about it because my co-host is more, yeah, like I'm more like a no bullshitter direct to the point. And she's like a lot nicer. She's got softer edges. I'm hostile. <laughs> hostile. Hostile. All right. Well, yes. speaking of hostile, now it's time to share your worst investment yeah. ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstance right. leading up to it and then tell us your story. All right. So this was, well, I had a lot to choose from because I'm like your classic high emotion get excited, don't do due diligence type person. Highly passionate is what I like to call it. And so we were wholesaling pre-foreclosures and this was 2008 when there was a lot of pre-foreclosures and there was a lot of good deals, you know, like houses were going for not a lot of money and it seemed like the numbers worked, you know, and I bought this, I was mostly buying single families, I bought some four families, but I wanted to get something bigger. So I ran across this six unit building, which technically is considered commercial. It was a, this house was probably, it was like almost 200 years old and it was like a patchwork house. Like I think it originally, it was a two story house that probably started off as like one single house. And then it had like two add-ons built on. So it ended up being a six unit apartment building. It had three separate entrances. I mean, it looked like a patchwork quilt basically, but like, you know, I'm like, think I'm savvy and I like, think I'm good at math. And I was like, what could go wrong? I mean, <laughs> and that is the kiss of death. <laughs> the second you tell yourself what can go wrong, everything does. So we bought this property. It was 2010. We actually just sold it last week actually. So we bought the property in 2010 and it was okay. But as 200 year old homes are that are patched together, when one tiny thing goes wrong, a hundred other things go wrong and it is never small. Like there's no straight edge. Like when the pipe bursts, it's like the entire plumbing stack under the ground all the way to the street, like a $10,000 fix. When you get a tenant, it's a haunted house. So the only tenants I could get was like, I got a pimp. 
I got a drug dealer. And this is in a nice part of town. It wasn't like a bad part. It wasn't like a red zone. You know what I mean? Like I had a, a guy that was like a wife beater. I mean, I had a hoarder. The police were like, is this a halfway house? I was like, you would think it was. And I would probably get more money if I could have it funded by the city. You know what I mean? That's what, probably what I should do. But it was like a disaster. Like I was just writing checks like every second. And they weren't small checks. Like everything was like a $3,000 or $10,000 mistake. Like it was never a hundred bucks. Mm. You know what I mean? But the average rents were like $500. I mean, it was insanity. Ugh, that gives me a headache. That <laughs> but finally, the market turned. And a few, how many years ago was that now? Maybe three years ago, I told my partner, who's my mom, and I was like, we need to sell this property like now. Like now is the time to sell this property because of the market. And she agreed. I found somebody, we held the financing. So we were owner financing and luckily he paid us every month and then he just sold it to somebody else. So we got our money back. I was like, oh wow. my God. I mean, obviously not all the money we spent, but like we didn't lose like everything, but it was a disaster. Oh, it was awful. And when you, when you look at the total period of time, did it end up being a loss because of all that you had to spend? (laughs) Yes, it was a loss. So we were trying to like mitigate our loss. You know what I mean? It just like, I could never get a good tenant there. Like I could never get anything fixed properly. It was just like everything was a disaster. Like the whole time it was a disaster. Mm. It was, it gave me a headache. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, so tell us, what did you learn from this? Do not buy a patchwork house is what I learned. We have a lot of old properties in Cincinnati. The thing about like old properties is like I said, when one thing goes wrong, it's like 10 things go wrong and it's never cheap. So now when I do my analysis, I have different budgets based on the age of the house. So like if it's a newer home, I won't budget as much renovation like over the years. And if it's an older home, I'll just triple what I think because like that's what it is. And would that be the main thing that you miss, you know, in your in your excitement over the house is that you just didn't. I didn't budget enough. Yeah, because we bought it too high and we didn't budget enough costs for the expenses. I mean, it was just Mm. too high. Yeah. You know, the ceilings were too high. Like there was no straight lines. The plumbing's old. I mean, everything's old, you know, and it's not easy. Nothing is easy in an old house. Oh, so let me share a few things related to this story. (laughs) The the first one is you bring me back in, in 1983. I was graduating from high school and I had, I had basically had just come out of three different rehabs in Ohio and the final one in Ohio. And mom said, look, it's great that you're sober, but it's time for you to start to prepare to get out on your own. And so I was 17. I was going to turn 18 in July and it was like June when I graduated high school. And then, uh, you know, I found a place to rent and it was a patchwork house. Was it? Yeah. And I, now, of course, I had no money. I was just renting a little room in there and it was all for the yeah, kitchen. You were probably one of my tenants. Were exactly. you the pimp or the yeah. drug dealer? Which one yeah. were you? <laughs> I was a recovering alcoholic. I could have helped you with the halfway house aspect of there it. There you go. <laughs> so, but I can remember 
when I had to pack up some stuff from my room at my parents' house and my dad drove me there to drop it off and all that. And I got into that house and I just, I fell on my knees and cried. I mean, I was so, I was just like, it was such a hard time. I mean, you know, on one hand, it was like exhilarating that I was going to be free and be able to do whatever I wanted. But on the other hand, it was like the closing of a chapter and all I could afford was this $120 a month room. And it was just so weird. I mean, like one of the roommates like tried to lock me in my room, you know, like a padlock. I don't know. It was just like weird. And then another one like started a fight. And next thing you know, I'm in a fight in the house. And then I don't have any money. I'm working at a factory that's like an hour away and I'm riding a little moped. And then boom, I get hit, got hit by a car and hurt my knee. And then it's like, and then I had to go get food stamps. And then I went to church nearby to get, you know, food and all that. It's like, but the one thing that I always remember about that time though, was because I was sober, I was going out to 12 step meetings every night with my friends, my old friends that were all getting sober and also new friends. And I was totally happy. You know I mean? It was a happy, happy, happy time. And it reminded me that it always reminds me. And this is the lesson out of that is that even in our darkest hour, just remember that I can always remember that there was a time when I had nothing and I had happiness. And so the point is, is that, you know, they say, you know, money buys happiness or money can't buy happiness and whatever. Money is neutral to me. Happiness comes from inside. And that's always a reminder. And there's a couple of other takeaways. The first one is that investing in stocks is so easy compared to real estate. Yeah, you just buy it. You don't like it. You sell it the next day. Yeah, like you have the the problem with investing in real estate is that if you're going to also like be a buy and hold and be a landlord, you have to have a lot of people skills. And especially if you're going to be doing like lower income housing, because when there is one problem it's exponential across the life, their lives, right? Like when the car breaks down or they have no money to fix the car, it's not just the car, that's the problem. And a lot of times people that grew up in that type of environment don't have a lot of like conflict resolution skills or Mm. skills that can, they can think about like, how can I resolve this issue? It's just a problem. And so now as the landlord, it sort of becomes your problem too, mm. you know? And that that's one of the biggest lessons I learned from having some of these properties. Now I only have properties that like are, I call them like workforce properties. So these are people that make an average income, you know, maybe like 80 to 120% of the average income because those people understand how to fix problems. Typically we're doing business together if they own their own business or they've been customers of mine or something like that. So Mm. now my return on my investment is lower, but my return on time and sanity is like exponentially higher. Well, and in the world of finance, we would say your risk adjusted return is probably better even yeah. though your return may be lower, but your risk may be significantly lower. And exactly. that, that risk can also be the time, the time sink. And the last thing that I would say that I would take away is that, you know, ladies and gentlemen, when you're buying anything, just remember the seller is probably hiding everything they possibly can of what's wrong, right? 
right? So it's like everything. And so it's like with a patchwork house, it just shows up that, you know, they've just, they've kept it together, you know. Barely. Uh, yeah, barely patching every little thing up, knowing that if, if anybody touches that one little thing, this whole thing is going to fall down and they're going to hide all of that yeah. in the process. And that's that's the point of due diligence and all of that stuff. So those are the three things that I take away. Number one, it reminded me of the time when I lived in a patchwork house. Number two, I felt like stocks are easy compared to being, you know, really involved in real estate to that level. And then finally is the idea that sellers are going to hide and just expect that they're going to hide stuff. And your job is to find it and uncover it. Yeah. Anything well, you add? To this day, the, there's four furnaces and well, two boilers and a twin furnace in that building. The twin furnace is literally duct taped together. And it has been since before I bought it in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Your first giveaway is when you walk through the house and you see duct tape. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So based upon what you've learned from this and what you've continued to learn, what one action, would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering this same fate? <sighs> I think like, I want the listeners to know that you really have to take a look at yourself. And if you're going to invest in real estate, there's a lot of ways that you can make money in real estate. Being a landlord is just one of them. And if you decide to do that, really look and say, okay, who do I want my tenants to be? And then that will dictate where you buy, which will dictate your return. Mm, great, great advice. And I think, remember, ladies and gentlemen, that being a landlord is a business. You yeah, know, like, you're better off having, like, if you just have one, I wouldn't do it. You need like 10 or more in order for it to really, maybe a little less, but like give or take, right? But like more than a couple for it to really make sense because it's just not going to work if you only have like a couple. It's not, it's not worth it. That's super valuable advice. I did an academic paper a while ago when I was writing some academic stuff. And I came up with the title of that paper was 10 stocks are enough in Asia. Meaning if you're going to invest in stocks, you know, you should invest in about 10. Yeah. If you invest in any less, you're taking on way more risk than you need to, right. number one. But then the amount of, if you take on more than 10, you might as well just own the whole stock market. All of it. Yeah. And just own an index fund and don't go through the hassle of all of that. But I think the same, it's great advice. Number one, because of diversification. So if you bought 10 units in different parts of town or different types, that gives you some diversification, but also you've got to generate a serious, reasonably high enough amount of revenue to offset the operating costs of running the business of being a landlord. And so there is a economies of scale, you know, aspect of your 10 advice. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. Exciting. Well, I think I learned a lot today. Well, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Our number one goal is to have 35 agents join our, it's called, our company is called EXP and our team is called Team Synergy and we're international. And so we're looking for agents to join us, the right agents, you know, of course. Mm. Because I've learned a lot of lessons that way too. That's the one I should have told you about. Those investments, investing agents. <laughs> I have a lot of lessons there. Well, that may be episode number two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, and I think that you were telling me that the best way for people to get in touch with you, if you're interested in 
well, learning more, but also becoming an agent is by your phone number. Yeah. And that is one plus one five one three four zero zero one six nine one. And I'll have it in the show notes so you can contact her through both WhatsApp or text message or call. Fantastic. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listeners, reduce risk in your life. So go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now and download the risk reduction checklist and see how you measure up. As we conclude, Jennifer, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Oh my God, just don't be emotional. Check your numbers. Have somebody else check your numbers. That's my last words. Beautiful. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.